Daniel chapter 3. Okay. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura and the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all of the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, Sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We're all familiar with the story of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, aren't we? You say, who are they? Well, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, they had Hebrew names, and they were given Babylonian names. You know why they were given Babylonian names? Part of the way the Babylonians did things was to just turn people they captured into Babylonians. Give them a Babylonian name, and let them come to Babylon and live and serve and become Babylonians. The world wants to do the same thing with us, folks. It may not change our names but it wants to change our language. It wants to change our thinking. The world wants to make God's people just as worldly as they are. And so they will attempt that. Amen. We suffer pressure and we experience pressure and we experience opposition because we walk with God. Because we are God's children. Now it will come from the world, but it will also come from our flesh and it will come from Satan himself. Satan will use our flesh against us. If you just go and read, and I've mentioned this a lot of times, in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, you see what is in the flesh, in this old nature, in this old man. And among those things are named lust and envy and hatred and those sorts of things. And they're in us, and if we're not careful, Satan will use those things against us. Anyone who will stand for the Lord today will find out that the Christian life, living the Christian life is difficult. And I actually like something a preacher said that I heard him say many years ago. He said the Christian life is not difficult. 
It is impossible. You cannot live it in your flesh by your own strength. The only way to live the Christian life is let Jesus Christ live in and through you. We're at odds with this world. We're at odds with the way this world lives. I had this thought this morning. You know, we live in a world of nonconformists who want to conform everybody to their way of thinking. Isn't that strange? But I thought the real nonconformists in this world ought to be God's people. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we ought to be the real nonconformists. We ought not to look like the world, think like the world, act like the world. 1 John 2, 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we are being daily asked to conform to this world. And so we have a conflict we have a new nature living inside of this flesh. But we have an old nature also. And we know what the scripture says, that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you should. And at the same time, we're at odds with Satan, your adversary. First Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we live in a world that is against us. We have a devil that is against us. We have a nature in our flesh that is against us. And yet we are supposed to live for God. We see today churches and homes and whole families that have sold out and are going the way of the world. Amen. It just irritates me when I see a preacher that's sold out. I see a church, our preacher has led a church that is sold out. We had a lesson this morning in Sunday school on King Saul when he was supposed to kill all of the Amalekites. And he didn't. And you know who he blamed? He blamed the people. The people wanted to save the animals alive. And I told the Sunday school class, remember the saying from the 19, I guess it was 1940s, the buck stops here? Well, when it comes to this church, folks, the buck stops right here. If your pastor does not preach the truth and stand for the truth and allows this church to go into error, folks, the book's up. I know who's going to answer, all right? I told the class, I said, that'll explain just a whole lot about your pastor. <laughs> you know, I know I'm going to answer. And that's why this message is needed today. These three Jewish men teach us a valuable, valuable lesson about being on fire for God, that it is possible to get on fire and to stay on fire for God, even in a world that is opposed to you, even in a world that would have you to go with them, and even in a world that's headed for hell today. Amen. If anything, we need to be bright and shining lights. That's what the Apostle Paul said we are in the second chapter of Philippians. We're lighthouses, okay? We shine as lights to a lost world. Last week I shared a quote with you, and I may not get it exactly right this week, but Charles Haddon Spurgeon said one time that if, if you're saved, you want to see other people saved. And if you don't want to see other people saved, you're not saved. Now Haddon said that, Brother Jim didn't say that, but I agree with Spurgeon on that, that if you just have no desire to see anybody saved, you need to check your own salvation. You know, I think if you're saved, there's in your heart somewhere, deep in your heart, there is a desire to see other people saved. You may not act on it, but there is a desire in your heart to see people saved. And I thought about, you know, we have a fireplace in our house. 
And in the wintertime, we don't do it this time of year, obviously, but in the wintertime, we'll start a fire in the fireplace. We get ready to go to bed. We'll close the fireplace down, and you know there may be a little flame going and a piece of wood, and little glowing embers there. We get up in the morning, and the wood's all gone. What happened? Well, there wasn't a big flame, but throughout the night, there was an ember, there was a glow, there was a little fire in that wood that eventually burned all that wood up. And I think that's what happens to a lot of God's people. There's a little fire there. There's a little desire there. Oh, I want to see this person saved. I want to see this relative saved. I want to see this loved one saved, whatever it may be. Yet we never act on it. But if you're saved, it's there. I think about Jeremiah in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. I love reading in Jeremiah. And when he said, I'm not going to preach in God's name anymore. He said, I quit. And then in the very next verse, he said, but his word was like a fire burning in my heart. See, we need a fire in our hearts, folks. By the way, you know the reason, I think I shared this just recently, but you know the reason there's ice cubes in the pew? Because there's no fire in the pulpit. And we need some fire in the pulpit today. We need some preachers to get on fire in their preaching the word of God. Our enemy, Satan, will do his very best to extinguish the fire. He will do his very best to put out the fire. But listen, he can't put the fire out if you're saved. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, and Satan can't get rid of the Holy Spirit, and he can't put out the Holy Spirit, and there will be a fire in you. We can live for God. And these verses tell us how to live, how to be on fire for God today. And if anything, amen. <laughs> Brother Truman's not here to do that, so we'll do it. Woo, okay, you can live for God today. We're going to see how. And see, the very first thing we're going to mention is the one thing that most people, especially God's people, don't want to do. And you know what that is? Be different. Amen. Be different. We are supposed to be different. You look at the first seven verses. Now, again, as we read, Nebuchadnezzar wants to establish his kingdom. He wants to increase, and he makes an image of gold. And he sets himself up as a god to be worshipped. I'm glad we don't have any politicians like that today. <laughs> his decree was for all men to bow before him and to bow to that image that he had set up. And he says, look, if you're not going to bow, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be put to death. And you're going to be put to death in a burning, fiery furnace. Now, these three Hebrew men faced a dilemma, didn't they? They faced some temptations. They had to overcome temptations in at least three areas. And number one was this, the temptation to guard their positions. They had positions in the kingdom, didn't they? And so they had the temptation to say, well, let's, we need to protect our place that we have in the kingdom. We need to look out for ourselves. We need to guard our own images. And they may have been tempted to say something like this. Look, we have positions of great influence in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, what good would it do for us to get killed and lose those positions, or in any way lose those positions of influence. Just think of what we could accomplish for God in those positions of influence in the kingdom. But if we go and get ourselves killed, we're not going to be any use to God. 
That sounded like one of the excuses King Saul made when he didn't obey the Lord. But there was a chance, there was a temptation to guard their position. There was a temptation also to avoid persecution. According, again to verse 6, anybody that didn't bow was to be burned. And these may have said something like this, a living dog is better than a dead lion, you know. <laughs> it's better to be a live coward than it is to be a dead hero. And listen, that furnace looks like a painful way to go. And surely God doesn't want his people to suffer that way. So maybe we better just go along to get along. You ever hear anybody say that? Let's just go along to get along. And that's what's going on with a lot of God's people today. And then here's the greatest temptation. And this is the greatest temptation for any child of God, especially for our young people today. This is it. To conform to their peers. You know what the chief hymn of society in America today is? Everybody's doing it, doing it, doing it. And let's just be like everybody else. There's a real danger that they would want to just conform and be like everybody else is bowing. What's it going to hurt? Here's what we can do. We can bow on the outside, but in our hearts, we'll still be standing. Hmm. Sound like a lot of God's people today. Oh, I'll conform to the world on the outside, but on the inside, you know, I'm still a Christian and I'm still going to serve God. Now, whether they actually face those temptations is just speculation on my part, but there's a great temptation, again, for us as human beings to do the very same thing. Seek the best for self in any situation. You ever heard the expression? I know you have. You've got to look out for number one. And number one in that situation, in that expression, is not God. Number one in that situation is me, myself, and, and I, okay? But if we want to be an impact, we want to impact the world around us for God, we have to be different. And we're going to notice a couple of ways these men were different. They, first of all, were separated. They were separated. What do you mean separated? Well, they were willing, again, to be different from everybody else. They're not many people, and I know I'm belaboring a point, but there's not many people that are willing to be different today. Amen. That's why the newest expressions, the newest terms, the newest fads catch on. I'm not going to talk about it again, but you know why young people wear some of the things that they wear? Well, that's what's cool today. That's what's in. That's what everybody's wearing today. And my goodness, if I go to school and I look different, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to make fun of me. Somebody's going to laugh at me. Somebody's going to give me a difficult time. That's why people get hooked on television shows. By the way, did I say last week? Well, I'll say it again. I'm so glad Hollywood's on strike. <laughs> I just love it, you know. I, I'd encourage them to stay that way for a long, long time, you know. Not any new garbage being emptied out on people that way. They just have to put up with the old garbage. But anyway, back meanwhile at the message, that's why, you know, somebody will start talking about a TV show and somebody doesn't know anything about it. And so what are they going to do? They're going to start watching it so they can talk about it, so they can go on with it with their friends. Because, listen, who wants to be called weird? Who wants to be called strange? Who wants to be called unusual? Listen, I don't mind. I mean, I'm already called that crazy preacher. I don't mind the rest of it, you know. But who wants to be called those names? And so what happens is we all look alike, we talk alike, we think alike, we dress alike, we walk alike, we just 
again, conform to everything that's going on around us. But God has called us to be different. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God wants us to talk different. God wants us to think different. God wants us to look different. God wants us to act different. He wants us to live differently. Matthew chapter 26, verse 73, has always for a long time amazed me. Remember when Peter was following Jesus afar off and then they get to where Jesus is being tried and one of them says, accuses Peter of being with Jesus and Peter being a Galilean. What does he say? Thy speech bereath thee. Hey, your speech gives you away. Amen. Your speech tells us that you were with Jesus. Your speech tells us you're one of his. As children of God, does our speech, the things we talk about, the way we talk about them, the language that we use, does our speech identify us as having been with the Lord Jesus Christ? And you know why the Lord wants us to be different? So we'll stand out. You know, that which conforms to everybody or that person that conforms to everybody around them doesn't stand out much. You're just one of a big mass, a big glob, okay? But when you take a stand, you stand out. And why does the Lord want us to stand out? He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify you? No. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Daily, we should live to the glory of God and to glorify our Father which is in heaven. He said, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can't be hid. We're to stand out. We're to be seen. I said, the Apostle Paul compared us to luminaries or even to lighthouses in a crooked and a perverse nation. Jesus said, you don't light a candle and put a cover over it. When you were saved, the light of Jesus Christ came into you. Amen. You have a light. I have a light. And we're not to cover that light or try to disguise who and what we are. He wants us to be, according to, and we've studied this on Wednesday nights, according to 1 Peter, he wants us to be a peculiar people. Now that doesn't mean oddball. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people, a purchased people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's God's desire for us. So be separated. And see, then to be different, you have to be standing. I think we live in a time when very few people want to stand for anything. Well, I'll just sort of go along. I'll just sort of mix in with the crowd and say, don't want to stand out. We don't want to stand up. Everybody else in Babylon is bowing at this point. And these three Hebrew men say, well, we're going to stand up. <laughs> they weren't worried about what was going to happen to them. They said, we are going to stand up. And that's a good example for believers today. You know, somebody will say, well, couldn't we just bow now and repent later? You know that old saying that forgiveness is a lot easier to get than permission? And a lot of God's people live that way. 
I'll just do what I want to do right now and then I'll ask God to forgive me of it later. And millions do that every day. Not these men. Their minds are made up. We're going to stand up. We're going to, we sang, stand up for Jesus, didn't we? And we stood, didn't we? Well, are we going to stand when we go out there? It's outside of those doors is the mission field. It's easy to stand up in here, isn't it? I mean, it would have been real easy for Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael to be in a service like this and stand when everybody else was standing. But what about when you get out in the world? When everybody else is bowing to the God of this world and we are supposed to stand. You know, there's some things that are just wrong. And I like the old saying, wrong is wrong even if everybody's for it and right is right even if everybody's against it. There are just some things that are wrong. And it doesn't matter who may be for that which is wrong. It's still wrong if the word of God says it's wrong. And we need to make up our minds. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to stand up against wrong. And I will speak out and stand up for what is right. God's call is for us to stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, tell us to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are to stand up. There are some precious things worth standing for and some wicked things worth standing against. And we as God's people need to be different and we need to stand up and we need to, to be separated to Jesus Christ today. Number two. Be determined. Be determined. When these men refused to bow to the idol, there were some folks that were jealous of them. And they went and told the king. So you know what happens? If you continue reading, in fact, verses 8 through 18, if you continue reading, the king calls them in. And he gives them a chance to do things his way. He just says, look, you're alone now. You're with me now. You're not in the crowd. Now they had chosen to be different in the presence of the crowd, but maybe in the presence of the king, they'll decide not to be different. But again, there's an example for us today. They were determined to stand in spite of insinuation. Look at verses 8 through 12. Verse 8, wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They're accused of being enemies to the king. Look at what it says. It says, these men don't regard you. These men don't have any respect for you. Now, they were faithful servants of the king. They're in positions of importance. But they're not going to serve and bow down to the king's idol. They knew the God of heaven. And when the king's commands violated the commands of God, they said, like Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I don't want to be a prophet of gloom and doom. But folks, I can foresee the day 
in this nation, in God bless America, that we will be forbidden, maybe from meeting like this, maybe from just going to a house somewhere and inviting somebody to church or witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I was reading some of the rules that, you know, we thought it was a great thing when supposedly the old Soviet Union relaxed some of its laws. And so as you read the laws that they have for religions in the Soviet Union, they're not a whole lot different than they were. You're not allowed to talk to anybody about the Lord Jesus. You can't invite anybody to church. You can't try to get young people into the church. There's a whole lot of things that you cannot do that forbids people from witnessing of Jesus Christ, the very thing that the Lord told us to do. And folks, I can see laws like that being passed in America because, among other things, the Lord's churches are not doing what they ought to do. When we decide we are tired of the world's games, when we decide that we're going to stand for Jesus, here's what we can count on. The world's going to be against us. 2 Timothy chapter 3.12 says, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. When the world rises up against us, folks, we need to be determined, I will stand for Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus stood for us. The least we can do is stand up for him. Insinuation. But they were also determined to be faithful in spite of interrogation. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. You're not doing what you're supposed to do, boys. You're not worshiping the image that I have set up. But here's what he does if you keep reading. Now in verse 15, now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbuck, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He said, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance, all right? Right here in front of the king, I'm going to give you a chance to bow, and it's going to be where nobody can see you. How about that? We'll just hide what you do. And when nobody can see you, you can bow. He said, I know you're believers in the God of the Hebrews, but nobody's watching. Nobody's paying attention. Just give it a real quick bow, and it'll all be over. You can keep your jobs. People will still respect your testimony, and I'll be happy. Even if he wasn't offering them a chance to save face, you know what Nehemiah is doing? He's offering them a chance to save their lives. You don't have to fall into the fiery furnace. But what did these young men do? 
they stood determined that they were going to be faithful to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. What great faith these young men had in God. I dare say the average believer does not have the faith of these three young men today. The average child of God does not have the kind of faith to stand up to the world. I mean, the world's not even threatening to put us in a furnace, okay? They may cause us a little heat, but they're not threatening to put us in a burning, fiery furnace. And yet the average child of God out in the world today does not have the faith in God to stand up and be determined to be faithful to God. The world will try to get us to be less than committed about what we believe. Well, it doesn't matter what church you go to so long as you go to church, right? Doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere, right? Why, why just be a good person. That'll, I hear so many people to say, well, I'm a good person. Maybe in your eyes. But what about in God's eyes? See, God doesn't look on the outward part of man. God looks at the heart and God sees the heart. And a heart that is blackened by sin, that has never been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, is not acceptable to God. The world will try to make us squirm because we think differently. Listen, we have no reason to be ashamed of who we are. You know what I am? Listen, I'm a, I'm a child of God. Saved, what does the song say? Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Now ransomed from sin and a new life begun. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. Once was lost but now I'm found, okay? I'm not ashamed to be identified with Jesus. We shouldn't be ashamed to be identified with Jesus. So we have no reason to be ashamed of who we belong to either. Amen. Okay? I hope if we don't do anything else when we go out of here, if we maybe felt a little bit timid about standing for the Lord in the world, we'll go out of here saying, hey, I'm, there was a t-shirt years ago that says, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. Okay? I know whom I have believing. Amen. The instruction that Peter gave 2,000 years ago in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 is just as good today as it was when Peter gave it. Listen to what he said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, we talked about that verse not long ago. What does it mean to sanctify God in your heart? Understand who God is. He's special. He's not like the world's gods. He's not like anything in the world. God is God. And he's to be set apart. He's to be special to us. You can't make him any more holy. I don't guess I'm going to preach on sanctification right now. We'll save that for tonight. But you can't make God any more holy. But you need to understand who he is. I hear people taking God's name in vain. I hear people telling jokes about God, treating him just like, you know, some other person. No, God is God. Amen. He is so far above us that we can't even conceive of his eternal nature, of his love, of his glory. You know, we've had a little taste of his love and salvation, but how much greater is that? God, God made Adam when he knew that making Adam was going to cost him going to Calvary. Amen. Now, if that's not love, I don't know what love is. You know, I told you before, if I'd been God, I wouldn't even made Adam. <laughs> I said, we're not going to do this. You know, watch it, I'm getting excited. 
But he said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be, listen to this, be ready always. You can't live a worldly life and be ready always, can you? Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Why are you living like that? Why are you so proud to say I'm a child of God? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you, listen, let me tell you. And we witness of Christ. We tell people about God. That's the way we are supposed to live. And then he says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Don't you just love to put people who falsely accuse you to shame by living a godly life before them? Even when the world doesn't understand us, we must be determined to stand for God. And then they were faithful in spite of intimidation. And again, the king reminds them in these verses that we read 15 through 18 that they face a terrible death. You know, I've never really been burned badly. I've shared with people, we grew up with a floor furnace. And I know what it's like to have the bottom of your feet look like waffles. Because in the wintertime, you go accidentally stand on that floor furnace barefooted. And it'll, it'll leave some marks. And that's about the most I know about being burned. There are people who have been burned severely, but never seven times hotter than normal. And Nebuchadnezzar says, we're going to really heat it up. We're going to turn up the heat on you guys. Well, guess what? The world wants to turn the heat up on us as God's people. And here's what he tries to tell them. Even God, your God can't save you. This is going to be so bad that even your God can't save you. And so he tries to intimidate them into bowing before his image. And listen, the world will try to intimidate us today. But again, look at their response beginning in verse 16. I'd only read part of it. But he says in verses 17 and 18, If so be our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Listen to this faith. But, wait a minute. <laughs> And you know, I've said I always like this word, but, in the scripture. God's going to destroy the world with a flood, but Noah. Ephesians chapter 2, we're separated in our sin, but God in his great love. And these young men say, God's going to save us. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Do you have that kind of faith? You're going to kill me if I don't? Serve your gods? Well, God can save me, but if he chooses not to, that's all right. I will not serve the world's gods. That's how bold. They're not being arrogant. They're not being ugly. They are standing in and on their faith in God. Amen. And they're just saying, look, we're going to trust God in this matter. We don't know how it's all going to come out, certainly, because we don't can't see into the future, but we're just going to trust God in this matter. And if he decides to save us, he'll save us. If he decides not to save us, then we're certainly not going to worship your gods. What they're saying is, hey, this isn't our problem. <laughs> this is your problem, King. You're threatening some of God's servants. Whether I live or die, whether we live or die, folks, that's totally up to the Lord. Amen. When I pray here Publicly especially, I thank God for another day. There's a reason for that. 
I can't keep myself alive to step from here to here. But God can. And every day we wake up and we open our eyes to a new dawn, what we ought to do is just thank God for giving us another day. In fact, these are so content in trusting God. They're, they're sort of like Job and they're sort of like the Apostle Paul. Remember what Job said? Job said in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Now, think of what Job had gone through. And Job says, look, hey, I'm still going to serve God. Eleven years ago, I had to come to that point. It wasn't about physical health, but it was about the situation we were in. And I said, you know, Lord, whatever happens, I'm going to be faithful to you. I don't care. I'm going to try. And you know what? God has been so good. And then Paul said, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. These were men who were totally committed to God. They said, we're not going to be intimidated into doing something that we know is evil. May God help us. When the world growls at us and when the world threatens us and when the world tries to intimidate us, may God help us to just say, no, I'm going to stand for God's. I'm the Lord's and he's going to take care of me. Amen. Don't miss the truth of this. Regardless of what was thrown at these men, they stood their ground. We have so many people today, churches, pastors, church members, that won't stand their ground today. I just want to back up a little bit. Well, let's ease off. Preacher, you preach too hard. I'm so thankful for Brother Gene. You know I was going to name you, did you? You know what he told me last Sunday night? He said, you quit apologizing for how long you... He said, you can preach an hour and a half if you want to. Amen, brother. Woo! All right. I don't think I have it in me to go that long, but I'll give her a try one of these days. But we need to stand our ground in a day when churches and professing believers are crumbling under the world's pressure, folks, God's people who are dedicated to him just need to stand up and say, enough, enough. Remember the line in the sand from one of those Iraqi wars? Well, line in the sand. And you know where the line in the sand is? Right here. It's in the word of God. If you want to be on fire for God, be different. If you want to be on fire for God, be determined. But here's the last one. Be delivered. Verses 19 through 30. Lincoln 19 through 23. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. The king was so angry at their words, he said, heat it seven times more. Don't just throw them into a fiery furnace. Make it seven times hotter. Bind them. Tie their hands. Throw them into the furnace. And it was so hot, as we read, it killed the men that threw them in. Now, I stood outside some houses that were on fire, and you can't get very close when that happens. But I've never been in a fire. Back when I was in law enforcement, I told a fireman one day, I said, I respect you guys. 
Y'all run into burning houses. All they do is shoot at us. I said, y'all run into burning houses. I really respect firefighters. But it killed the men that threw them in. Just because you're saved and just because you're serving Jesus is no guarantee that you are protected from trouble. In fact, the very opposite is true. If you just look at the 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and look at what the Apostle Paul went in through. I mean, he was beaten, he was bound, he was cast into the sea, all sorts of things that he endured for the cause of Christ. But what did they do to John the Baptist? Because he spoke out against evil and, and adultery, he got his head chopped off. I mean, these are men who were faithfully serving God. What did they do to Jesus? They beat him with a scourge, they nailed him to the cross. Isaiah 52 verse 14 says of Jesus at his crucifixion that his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. said he didn't even look like a man after they got through with him. Now, if they treated Jesus that way, how do you think the world is going to treat you? The Bible promises persecution, remember, to every believer. We quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3.12. Jesus said, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. 1 Peter 4.12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Listen, folks, when you were saved and you set about to serve God, you didn't sign up for a pleasure cruise. You entered the Lord's army. You signed up for a war. You signed up and I signed up for a battle. If we live for him, we're going to make some enemies as we pass through this world. They were delivered to the flames. But look at this. They were delivered in the flames. Verses 24 and 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished or astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Why didn't God spare Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael from the fire? He got more glory from them going through the fire Amen. than he would have sparing them from the fire. While they were there, they were met and protected by the Lord himself. I tell you what, when you get in the midst of the fire, you look for the presence of Jesus. He will be there. And Nebuchadnezzar learned a valuable lesson about God. Somebody said it this way, Jesus told the fire to cool it and told these men never to let them see you sweat. You know, I think that's pretty good. The king meant to do them in. God meant to save them and set them free. And they walked around in that fire. You know what? They walked around in the fire unbound. God may let us go through the fire sometimes. And sometimes we may need to go through the fire in this life. But we can rest in his promise that when we're in the fire, his presence will be with us. Jesus is quoted as saying in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, some people act, they get in the midst of trouble and they act like God's forsaken them. No, he hasn't. You're just not looking for him. I will never, what does never mean? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The Lord didn't keep these from the fire. He kept them through the fire. What the world and the devil mean for our destruction, listen, God will use for his glory and for our good. 
Was it Sunday school that I mentioned Romans 8.28 or was it earlier in here? I don't remember. But what does Romans 8.28 tell us? For all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God can take whatever happens in our lives and God can use it for our spiritual good and he can use it to get glory for himself. Amen. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. Remember what Joseph told his brothers in Genesis 50? He said, y'all meant this for, for evil. You're trying to do something to me. He said, but God meant it for good. And Joseph went down into Egypt, eventually became second in command of Egypt and saved his family. Essentially saved the nation of Israel by being obedient to God. Well, not only delivered to the flames and in the flames, but delivered from the flames. You look at verses 26 and 27 right quick. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, I can see him. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I don't know how it went, but I can just sort of see that mentally. Ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth from the midst of the fire and I can sort of imagine they were singing glory to his name, you know, something like that. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire had passed on them. They were delivered from the flames. Nebuchadnezzar finds out they hadn't been burned. I threw them in that burning fiery furnace and they were not burned. You know what the only thing that burned on them was? The ropes that the world had put on them. Listen, you go through the fire, the, maybe it'll burn off some of what the world has put on us, okay? And the point is that God may let us go through a fire but again, we'll not go through the fire alone. For our light affliction, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, our light afflictions, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What are you going through right now? You're going through some problems, some difficulties. God can bring you out of the other end of it. And even if there's no earthly, physical glory in it, there's going to be some glory in eternity, some reward in eternity for us. And whether he brings us out or whether we die in the furnace, we're winners either way. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's something better than this life. Amen. And it is the life to come. But only if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. For folks who are not saved, this life is as good as it gets. You know, I don't begrudge anybody that's lost good things that happen to them because if they die in that condition, that's going to be as good as it gets for them. But not for the child of God. It gets, it gets gooder, okay? <laughs> and then delivered after the flames. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. You see Nebuchadnezzar didn't accept God as the only god but he saw the power of God, okay? 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He got them out of the furnace and he said, I'm going to make a proclamation honoring the God of these men. The world may see us go through the fire and come out on the other side and the world may hear us glorify God and still not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But I tell you what, if you've gone through the fire and God's brought you through it and you've come out on the other side, you have a testimony to share with the world. You have something you can tell them that will glorify God. Somebody said this, the enemies you make by taking a stand will have more respect for you than the friends that you make by straddling the fence. I was sharing in brief, I didn't share the whole story, but the Sunday school class about a particular church I pastored and I had to take a stand. I didn't stay there long, but I think those folks respect the stand that I took. They may not respect me, they may not like me, but they got to respect the stand that I took because it was based on the Word of God. When we go through the fire with Jesus, He'll be honored and we will grow as a result of it. Romans chapter 5. And y'all are familiar with these verses. I share them a lot because they're just so important to us for us to keep in mind, for us to remember. Therefore, beginning in verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, listen to this, but we glory in tribulations. Anybody glory? Don't raise your hand. I'll just raise it for you. Anybody glory in tribulations? What do we do most of the time in tribulations? Complain, gripe. Why is God letting this happen? No, Paul said we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, endurance. Means you can last and patience, experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And I've explained it before. We go through a trial, God brings us through it, so we endure, we last, we have patience through that trial, we come out on the other side, we've got an experience to look back on. The next time we have a difficulty, look, God brought me through. Israel never learned that, by the way. Amen. They came up to the Red Sea. They said, we're going to die out here. God opened the Red Sea. They went through. They came up somewhere. They, they want water. They said, God's going to let us die of thirst. God provides water. The next time they have a difficulty, God brought us out here to kill us. Wake up. Look back. What has God done in the past for you? Oh, he just saved your soul. That's all. Right? <laughs> I don't mean to minimize it, but that's the way some people look at it. Keeping you from going to hell. But again, we'd look back at an experience and say, look what God did. And you know what that helps us do? The next time I have a trial, Lord, you brought me through that. If we'll just get into the fire. Now, I mean live in such a way. Not try to go out. Listen, we don't have to go out and seek persecution. You just live for Christ, it'll come. But if we'll get into the fire, you know what? We'll see Jesus in a whole new way. He'll be so much more precious to us. And we'll be more determined, I think, to be different than the world around us. I've got to wrap it up. There are times when we face the fire, and we're faced with the fire. We probably have to admit that sometimes we back down when we face the fire instead of standing up. If that describes you, guess what? The Lord has forgiveness for you. 
Just confess it to him. First John 1, 9, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord has forgiveness and he'll help you take your stand the next time. I may be talking to somebody that's facing a fire right now. I don't know what it is, but here's what you need to know. Jesus is there with you. He'll never leave you. And if you need to seek his face from the furnace, look to him. You know, doesn't this happen? We get into trials and we start looking all around instead of looking up. David said, my strength cometh from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. That's who we're to look to. And then others may be like Nebuchadnezzar, more than the three Hebrews, with only a nodding acknowledgement of God. What does that mean? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had heard of God, but Nebuchadnezzar had no personal relationship with God. He could talk about God. He could make a proclamation that people would worship God, but he had no relationship with God. He just saw him as one of many gods. And you know, there are people in the world like that. We refer to them as lost, unsaved. And it's what they need is to hear from some people who know God personally, who can show them the way to God through Jesus Christ. The scripture says all have sinned. Every man, I don't care how good a person is, every man, woman, boy, and girl. What office they hold, every man, woman, boy, and girl is a sinner, born a sinner, separated from God. But aren't you glad Jesus died on the cross? You talk about going through the fire. Jesus went to the cross, willingly gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. Was buried, rose again, ascended back into heaven where he's making intercession for us today. But if a person would just accept that, not just believe in their head that Jesus died on the cross for them, but believe in their heart. Confess to God. That's what repentance is. Just agreeing with God. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and I can't save myself. And then asking for God's mercy that he would, by faith, that we apply the shed blood of Jesus to our souls. That's what it takes to be saved. Maybe somebody that's watching by way of live stream is that way today. I don't know your need. But I tell you what we do need. We need people that'll stand. We need people that'll get on fire for God. And I told the Sunday school class, I would love to see this building full. And there's ways we could fill it, but they're ungodly. They're not scriptural. But God gave us a way to fill it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, disciple people, bring people to Christ, encourage upon them scriptural baptism, and after scriptural baptism, membership in one of the Lord's churches and through that church to learn and to serve, that's the plan God has for us. If you're watching my way of live streaming and you're not saved, you need to be saved today. You need to be saved right now. Today is the day of salvation. Let's stand, please.